episode 33. I think this was a fun episode. I had a really good time. So Friday night, today's Tuesday, Friday night, Kirsten, Kathy, and I did a live podcast called The Podcast Party. I think it's going to be up on YouTube at some point. But I wanted to recap the night with them, which we did. And it was a fun conversation. And we talked about some jobs we've had in the past. And we talked about my gardener who left an offensive half cut off tree in my front yard, which I will post a picture of on my Instagram. So we do spend the first like 20 minutes talking about my gardener. Apologies. Just hold on. We get to some better conversation later. Although I think it was pretty entertaining talking about my gardener. So um, I hope you enjoy. We, we briefly discussed a new book that's come out that I haven't read, but I'll also put that on my website, a link to that too, because it sounds like something I'd be interested in reading. So um, anyway, this is a fun, light podcast. I hope you enjoy it. And thanks for coming back every week. And thanks for sharing my podcast with other people. And... Thanks for all the positivity. I do get some critiques from time to time, but for the most part, everybody's so supportive and positive. And it just, um, I mean, it's always nice to be on the receiving end of that, but it makes me feel good about people in general, that people are willing to take a moment to send a good thought to somebody, even if it's not me, even if it's to a coworker who's doing a great job and you just want to say, hey, you're doing a great job. That makes me feel really good. Um, so thank you for all the encouragement and and good vibes. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy this episode. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. I roller skated to your door at daylight. It almost seems like you're Oh, don't worry. The gardener will be here any minute. I've been waiting on him <laughs> so I could like tell him sniffling in the to start. Microphone, so. I need to talk to him. He cut down. I had him. Uh, we had this tree in our front yard that was sick. It was a big palm tree. The palm tree is like 80 years old. It was, I think, 90 feet tall. And on the, the side of your yard? The uh, one like- no, right in front of my house. It was growing up oh, yeah. like okay. right in the front of my house, right? So months ago, I had the gardener like trim it, trim all the palm fronds. And when he came down, he said, uh, that tree is really sick. You can tell because the bark is kind of just falling off of it. So he said, at some point, you're going to need to cut that tree down because it's going to just continue to get more and more sick. And um, he's like, it's not right away, but at some point. So last week he said, you know, I have a crew uh, available. I can cut this tree down. And I was like, oh, let me talk to Bert about it. So we were out of town this past weekend. He said he he texted me and said, "I got that crew ready. Do you want me to cut your tree down?" And I was like, "Okay." And he said, "Now I won't remove the stump. You'll have to get someone else to remove the stump." But he's giving me a good price. So I was like, "Okay. How much more could it be to remove the stump? Not that much more. Let's just get it down." Have you seen it? I didn't notice. I didn't. I he was left like terrible. Now I feel bad. It's like three and a half feet tall. He left. 
he didn't leave a stump. He left like half a tree. It's like three and a half feet tall. And I was like, what the fuck did you do that for? That's the stupidest looking thing. It's like half the height of my house. So you walk up and it is in the middle <laughs> of the bizarre. front of my house. I was like, at least you could have cut it like at ground level. Or even if you knew they were going to remove the stump. Yes. Uh, but it's a palm tree stump. They don't really have like roots like regular trees. They have like fingers. So it's not super hard to remove it anyway. It's like a big bulb. Right. But the, a stump is like this big. You have like 12 yeah. inches sticking out of the yeah. ground. No, no, no. It's at like waist high on me. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been waiting. The gardener is usually here at like nine and then, of course, blows our backyard last. So I've been waiting for him, one, to say, go blow our backyard before we start recording this podcast. And two, what the fuck with my tree? <laughs> I mean, I was like, really? Did your chainsaw get dull and you just quit? Could you have texted me so I didn't come home and go, there's half a tree? <laughs> It's half a tree. It is the stupidest looking thing I've ever seen. Well, it doesn't look that bad because neither of us noticed it. So. Well, then you are too self-involved, both of you, yeah. to have not noticed my plight, my true. tree trauma in the front yard. Literally, I was like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, you can't landscape around it. You can't. I mean, it's ridiculous. So well, I'm going to call the stump people i should have i'm really i'm really here's something that i can improve on okay (laughs) i have a hard time with people who work for me regularly like a gardener or a house cleaner i have a really hard time saying no to them because they're in my house because they have codes to my backyard yes that because they are part of my like team i have a hard time saying you know i don't want you to trim that i don't want you to take that tree down i actually want the guys who took the tree down in my backyard to take the tree down because they did an excellent job oh not only did he leave half a tree there are these huge spots in my front yard where he clearly just let the tree fucking fall so I have these uh, like indented places uh, in my yard. I'm like, how are you planning on fixing that? Are you going to fill it up with dirt and then seed it? I mean, you're not leaving it like that. It's not going to be li- like you fall in it. It's a right. hole. Oh, my God. It's like the size of a body. Like if you dropped body <laughs> right, so parts. He's clearly a gardener, not a tree trimmer. He is. Like, it's, they're very different things. Yeah. <laughs> clearly. So and I knew that. I actually did know that. And I actually mm. thought to myself, you know, I should have the other guys do it. And I didn't want to upset him. Right. Because it's extra money for him. And how hard is it really to cut a tree down? You just chop the top off, lower it down, chop the top off, lower it down. Yeah. But clearly, it's a challenge for this guy who can't listen to me when I say, can you blow my backyard first? And still doesn't. But can I fire him? No. Same as the person that cleans my house who does the worst job. She comes one day a week just to help me, just to help me. I clean my own house and I do my own laundry. Uh, She just helps me like with the heavy duty cleaning because I need a little bit of help. So I don't want anybody listening to think I have like a maid. I do not. I have a lady who comes one day a week for six hours and just does the bathrooms, the kitchen, mops the floors, vacuums, like dusts. That's what she does, right? She sucks at it. She fucking sucks. When she cleans the bathroom, she doesn't move anything on the counter. Nor does she wipe down what's on top of the counter. So she wipes down around everything. Like I have, I've been testing her. I do this from time to time just to make myself angry. I have a rechargeable toothbrush. The charging station is a glass. It looks like a glass and it sits on like an electric thing. So you just sit your toothbrush in the glass. 
There's toothpaste on that glass for three months. That toothpaste has been on that glass. Oh, it has God. never been cleaned. And I ask her to deep clean the bathroom. Will you deep clean the bathroom? Just skip George and Isla's room and really deep clean the bathrooms. Toothpaste is still on that glass. Now, I ask you ladies, is that okay? <laughs> yeah, that is... Not it's not okay! No. But I hear you. When you're in a relationship with somebody, right. I think it's hard like I it's hear really people, hard to fire somebody yeah, like yeah. that. It is. Because you know them personally. You know their life. Yep. You feel bad. You know you're their source of income. Yeah. Yep. Or part of it. You and know, you like, know that people are fallible. You're like, okay, it, there yeah. was a toothpaste on there. People make mistakes. She didn't notice it. But three months later, it's not just, I mean. She just is shitty cleaner. Yeah. But the problem is, I would trust her. I would give her all of my jewelry. <laughs> and trust her not she would not steal anything out of my house mm-hmm. she would not take a dollar out of the washer like if she sees a dollar in the washer she's the most trustworthy person so that's why one, that's one of the main reasons i haven't let her let her go because mm-hmm. i go to find another person i feel that safe with in my house would be kind of hard she's really yeah. religious she's a really good human being and i've tried to teach her how to clean and she will not listen she will not do it the way i ask her to she just goes right back to the way she does it she'll do it like once maybe twice and then she forgets or something and goes i don't know anyway i'm just slapped in the face with inadequacies incompetencies and half a tree in my front yard the tragedy of it all such white people problems right yeah, right so the three of us did a live podcast on Saturday. So I wanted us to reconvene and discuss our live podcast and then do a podcast about the live, what we were, our topic in the live podcast because it was very short and sweet. It's called the very podcast. short. It was very short. Yes. It was like escorted off It was stage. allegedly know, right? 15 minutes, but it felt like it was maybe four. Eight? Yeah, eight. <laughs> maybe eight. I'm being generous. Maybe eight. Um, it's called The Podcast Party. I'm not sure uh, when it's going to be released. It will be on YouTube, I think, at some point. Uh, it's produced by a young man named Will Hagel, and he was really nice. Oh, it, really cute. He, he was, was a really mm-hmm. sweet guy. He was. Yeah. He was very so. I thank wish you. I knew somebody his, in his age range to set him up with. I know. He was adorable. <laughs> he could have been all of our sons. <laughs> yes. That was yep. really, I mean, that shook Eye me. opening this weekend that shook me i thought oh my god we are old enough to have actual adult children like yeah. actual adults who pay their own bills like and who live in their own homes and shows yes yeah. who produce shows oh my That's god terrifying that was really shocking right it is all a kind of a rude awakening isn't it? <sighs> yeah. but he was really nice he was actually a really big fan of uh, of this podcast which i thought was really fascinating because you know i read the comments and I see who subscribes on YouTube and I'm always so uh, surprised how many men listen. I'm really um, excited and happy about that. Uh, I thought it would be all women and women only, but yeah. um, I think it's really cool that men want to eavesdrop on middle-aged women's <laughs> conversations about whatever. Their mom's conversation. About half trees and <laughs> shitty house cleaners. And <laughs> but that's kind of cool. I wonder if it makes some of them feel closer to their mom. Or I know a lot of them say it gives me a better perspective on my wife. Mm-hmm. So 
We're doing a public service, ladies. We're doing a public service. So at the podcast party, I had planned on us talking about um, jobs because I wanted to kind of be prepared. I didn't want us to show up and just go, so anyway, Kathy? And Kathy goes, so anyway, Kristen? So anyway. Well, first of all, what did you, how did you feel about it? About the live podcast? Before or after? Uh, Any of it. Before? I was terrified. Were you? Oh, my God. The last thing I ever want to do is be in front of people. Like, on a stage? That's terrifying. Now, granted, this may not have been a stage, per se. It was sort of a stage. It was a stage. But, yeah. Oh, no. I was so not... I did not want to do that at all. Well, you did great. It was... It was fine. (laughs) It was... Yeah, it was good. It was good. I couldn't tell that you were scared. You hit it well. I think once I got there and realized, I was like, oh, maybe this is not what my UCLA envision had yeah, or whatever it was. <laughs> no, I was saying to them backstage in my brain when when Will emailed me, hey, we have this live podcast party where I have all these podcasts come and do 15 minutes. My brain went, UCLA auditorium, <laughs> packed house, screaming fans. <laughs> and when we got there, there were 15 people, maybe in the audience, <laughs> maybe 15 and like a 25 seat. <laughs> theater. theater the entire theater had 25 seats uh, maybe maybe 25 was, yeah. that's if people were sitting on the stairs <laughs> it was tiny so my brain was like ucla this is going to be amazing almost madison square garden next step madison square garden so it was much smaller scale than my imagination had prepared me for um how did you feel about it kirsten i felt fine i was a little nervous just because I didn't know what to expect but then when we walked in and it was a theater that I've actually done plays in and had acting class in a hundred years ago um, I wasn't as nervous but then when when we heard that some of the other podcasts had graphics and like they had costumes (laughs) and stuff and we were like oh my god costumes like we're just dressed like in night out like it was just three middle-aged ladies um, night out. And yeah, that kind of threw me for a loop. I thought, oh my God, what have we gotten ourselves into? Like, (laughs) we don't have anything. It's just the three of us talking. Um, And then when it happened, it was so fast. I mean, there was no way that was 15 minutes. Yeah, it was really fast. I'm going to be fascinated to watch. I'm going to watch it on YouTube and time our section because I swear (laughs) that We were gypped. (laughs) (laughs) they were probably just like well where are the costumes where are the graphics i think the audience liked it because we were backstage and he said next up blah 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 blah, wife of the party and two people went woohoo two whole people right but out of 15 that's That's almost you know that's a pretty good percentage (laughs) so we're sitting backstage okay the backstage area is outside and it's basically an enclosed alley like there's sunshades over the it's roof. It's not basically. It's 100% an it enclosed is, yeah. alley. It's an alley that's been closed <laughs> Isn't off. Isn't it enclosed in? Couldn't you get out through the end? I think you could, but uh, you, you probably couldn't get in through the end. Oh, okay. So it was secured, put it that way. So we're all three sitting there on a bench, and this young man comes out of a door with a suitcase, <laughs> and he's got headphones on, and he's acting bananas would you say bananas bananas and we're i'm watching him like is that a homeless person that has wandered into the theater and has walked back here yeah he was pacing shaking his head muttering to himself just sort Mm -hmm. of 
gesticulating and very kind of a homeless person-y yes very mental ill and i was watching him and i was the uh kathy and kirsten were watching him at one point he goes over onto a stoop and starts pushing on the bricks on the wall like he's dialing a phone number or something <laughs> and i was like he's definitely a homeless person 100 percent homeless person <laughs> so we're sitting there with our purses clutched <laughs> all three of us have our purses clutched <laughs> to our chest right and i go i don't know if we should leave our purses in the green room i mean that guy can totally get in the green room <laughs> And he's pacing back and forth. And then someone comes out of the theater and starts talking to him. And then they start doing this mirror exercise. And Kirsten goes, oh, he's Meisner. He's totally fine. <laughs> he was doing a Meisner exercise. Meisner acting. Meisner is a, is a theory or a, yeah, a theory of a school, of, a, a school of acting that's taught in New York and I guess in L.A. too. And they do this specific exercise that Kirsten recognized as a Meisner exercise. So we're like, okay, we're good. We're good. We can leave our purses in the green room now. So we're sitting there going, are we really going to walk on stage with our purses? I mean, how can we look? And not to mention, we are one the only females there. Yes, and clearly the oldest people by far. By like yes. twenty years, like every other podcaster really could have been our child. Um, and they were all male. Yeah, yeah, it was really disconcerting. And some of them were dressed as like the Hamburglar or somebody and was like dressed Super as Mario. Mario. It was so confusing. I felt really out of place. <laughs> Those guys in the suit that had like a script prepared. I was like, holy shit. We did not know what we were getting into. I know. I know the right? three piece suits. And yeah. I, I mean, uh, yeah, Whoops. I thought we, this is not our demographic. <laughs> this is not. I felt the same way. This is not. Why are we here? But Will kind of explained it. He was like, I just love your podcast so much. And I just think more people should see it. And I want the exposure it was really sweet and he and said then, he thought his mom would, right, and would he like it his mom because he thought she would like it his mom was in the yeah. audience trying to convince her he was trying to get his mom into podcasts so he, we're the gateway i <laughs> the guess gateway drug yeah. gateway podcast for mom <laughs> mother hegel <laughs> oh man oh it was an experience it yeah was very it's good yes. for him for he's yeah. he's young and he's doing this um it's really impressive that this is an ongoing thing yeah i mean and he paid us yeah which yeah, was really right? sweet i don't well, i don't just, know how those how much do you charge those 15 people 100 <laughs> bucks each <laughs> I mean, right to, had to be a premium ticket <laughs> you know that was really cool though that was really cool we so thank you very, very much yes. thank you for being brave <laughs> and uh braving the wilderness it was fun it was a singular experience <laughs> next yes. stop ucla auditorium <laughs> next stop ladies <laughs> can only go up from here with, with the hamburglar in tow <laughs> hamburglar in tow <laughs> oh it was the hamburglar uh, and who else was back there ronald mcdonald yeah hamburglar mario what was the girl's name in the hamburger the mcdonald's remember the girl oh, had yeah. red she was there too Oh, I didn't see her. She no was. grimace. No grimace. Grimace was missing in action. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was on stage with the guy putting the phone numbers into the brick wall. Uh-huh. That guy. Maybe is they were calling I, the grimace. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> You're late. Get here now. <laughs> That's why he was so agitated. <laughs> he had grimace chopped in pieces yeah. in the suitcase. Oh my god. He was calling. Seriously, when we I when I saw that suitcase, was, I was yeah. like, "What's in the suitcase?" <laughs> <laughs> It was like Pulp Fiction-ish. It was. Yes, it was. It was very bizarre. (laughs) 
Well, I hope his mirror exercise helped him out. Yeah. <laughs> We're probably going to watch this and be like, oh my God, he's a genius. He's a comic genius. Wait, or he's was he? Like, I don't think no, he was, he was in a different he was theater. In a different he, theater. Was in a- <laughs> he was coming in and out of a different back yeah. door. There's like three back doors in this alley. He was right. coming in and out of the other back door. Oh. So he wasn't involved in our podcasting stuff. I think the Hamburglar was. I think so too. Yes. Yeah. But he and Mario was. Was. Yeah. And three piece suit guys. Yeah, we're really selling this. Basically, <laughs> you should definitely listen to or watch um, the podcast party. Because I'm curious because it. I want to know what Seriously. the other podcasters were. No, you absolutely. Didn't hear anything from back I'm 100% there. gonna watch so it. So I have yeah, no yeah. clue. What did, yeah. what did Ronald McDonald talk about? I don't know. Yeah. Right now, watch. None of these people will be on this podcast. <laughs> they were like the interim, uh, in between act, right, to warm up the audience. Whatever those people are called. <laughs> People listening to this will go, those bitches are crazy. (laughs) They don't know what they're talking about. The guy with a suitcase is delivering like a Shakespearean monologue or something. And he's doing uh he's doing a Willie Loman salesman. That's a suitcase. It's a suitcase, right? That would work. Okay, so on that that podcast we talked about jobs that we'd had in the past. So we had started, but we kind of have to start over because, and by the way, Bert, of course, the next day I drove up and met them when we were out of town. He took the girls out of town the night before and uh, I showed up Saturday after this live podcast we did and I was telling him about your job and he was so fascinated he was like what is she talking about so now you have to kind of start over and tell us about this job you talked about on this podcast it is a kind of a crazy job yeah so do you mind retelling sure um okay so my craziest job was as a standardized patient for USC med school and a standardized patient is um, they hire actors um, to play patients to both train future doctors and also to test them so I wasn't I think they actually probably hire people to like do physical exams they must I mean if they're hiring actors to do this other stuff but I wasn't a part of any physical exams Um, it was um, one that was about pain um, so it was um I, I think I had peritonitis. Oh, what <laughs> is that? The diagnosis <laughs> is um, the peritoneal area. Is the it, if you say stomach, like that's your stomach. Like so, right. um, if you know people say tummy, stomach, like, all these different things, abdomen. It's the peritoneal area is the this cavity. The cavity. Um, I believe. <laughs> I, I don't know. And now we're gonna get med students like calling in and the peritoneal writing in actually and is saying, in your toenail. Oh, this woman knows nothing. I I was an actor. I mean, I know nothing. But um, yeah, so that was about pain, extreme pain. I came in in extreme pain, crying, and so they had to diagnose by not even barely being able to touch me. I think they they touch my um, tummy like through through clothes or through mm. maybe I was in a gown, but like with clothes, it was yeah. really clothed. Um, and um, that was because a lot of them are really brilliant on paper, right? But when they're dealing with a crying mm-hmm. person, are just you know, don't know what to do and right. they don't know what to ask, uh, to ask the right questions and also diagnose. I'm sure you've all seen in, um, in life, just seeing different doctors that some are not good diagnosticians. They may be good in other areas, but, um, there are so many things. I mean, you could have a cough and it could be anything from allergies to a common cold to AIDS, right. you know, um, or, you know, and likewise with any pain in your body. And, um, so, 
so that was that was interesting um just seeing who would just jump to like oh you have appendicitis it was like <laughs> inside i'm thinking not appendicitis <laughs> i know what i have but um, i don't know what the shit is but it's not that <laughs> yeah so this this was an attesting situation so they would leave the room and i'd like underneath my pillow i'd pull out a um a checklist and have to you know circling like bedside manner did they ask um questions did you feel listened to did you feel oh, okay all of the all that kind of stuff sort of like the soft skills of um being a doctor but my most interesting character, and I think the one that's <laughs> the most fascinating to me, um, was as the seductive patient. Um, which, <laughs> which I think is so hysterical. <laughs> I think um, it's hysterical that they thought of this and right? created this test. But yes, hey, right? I have to tell you, my mother used to say to me, I got an appointment with a gynecologist today. Can't wait for that. Totally getting my rocks off. And I'm like, Ew. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I think that seductive patient actually maybe exists. I'm sure it does. But to the degree where they have to actually train for it. So this this was in a training situation where they'd have about a dozen um, doctors in the room with their teacher and they'd have me sitting in a seat and the point of it wasn't to seduce necessarily it was to break boundaries mm-hmm. to um so with women i wasn't necessarily coming on to them it was more like sometimes it was trying to get them to be my best friend or like you know trying to break a barrier about like oh you're interested in that we should see a movie together sometime oh, or that it. kind of stuff but sometimes it was sexual and i'd just you know like remove an eyelash from under their eye like oh sorry you have a smudge of makeup and like touch them and just sort of invade their space right um wait people were watching while you did this yes creepy yes That's so there was weird the rest of them they were sitting there in a classroom situation and i was i would be sitting here in a chair and there's one other chair and they'd put the teacher would send different people to the hot seat and they would there was some sort of a cue where i'd have to put my head down like a puppet or something like a puppet that wasn't being used while they talked about what just happened and sometimes that would be when the patient when the student when the doctor student was still there and sometimes it was when they were switching out and she was saying oh David you go up there we're gonna switch out and then as soon as there was somebody seated next to me I could pop my head up and I'd say Hey, and he'd say, "What? <laughs> bizarre? How bizarre? <laughs> so weird. It right? was so bizarre. It was very bizarre. Um, and I, so I would inch my chair a little closer. I'd talk about problems with my boyfriend, and I'd talk about not feeling very sexy, and let the gained strap a little of bit your of bra weight. fall off. Yeah, <laughs> gained a little weight. It seems to, I, it's uncomfortable. It's like you know when you gain weight, just be you know do things that were inappropriate, but not." not crazy the point was not not crazy like not mentally unstable. not like going to grab their their crotch right. or something right. not um but just things that maybe made them uncomfortable or and um broke um their boundaries sort of like and um it was really interesting because we had like there were a lot who again were very probably very good textbook but weren't as good in interpersonal relations they would just say back off Give me my space. Oh, my God. And, and the teacher would stop them and go, um, wow, did you see how you just shut her down? And I was supposed to, you know, just react like a normal person would react. And I'd be, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I didn't mean to invade your space. I'm just, gosh, I'm a touchy person. I I, I would never mean to do that. Um, and, and But also really shut down so that they would 
you know, <laughs> not get as much out of me. So then they'd start asking me questions and about what brings you here. And I, it would just be one word answers. No, I, I'm, I'm fine. It's, it's actually okay. Um, right. Um, it doesn't crazy. hurt that bad. Um, yeah. So, um, and the teacher would talk to them about how, you know, when I do different things where they go, well, I did that because she was acting crazy. Well, maybe she is mentally ill. Maybe that's why this patient came to see right. you. Did you ever think of that? Like, cause patients come, if somebody comes with, a cough it could be about an actual cough it could be because they're lonely right. it could be because their mom just died and don't know how to to get mental health help or right. um so she would talk them through all of that and um but i did have the one that i talked about in the podcast was um there was one doctor that sat down dr josh <laughs> and i had my head down and when I popped my head up. We looked into each other's eyes and it was like, whoa, (laughs) there was a moment. Like there was definitely a moment and I was able to get away with a lot (laughs) with him. And I inched my chair like a little closer all the time. And we talked and talked and talked. And all of a sudden it was like, stop. And I popped my head down and the teacher said, Josh, what are you doing? She has her hand on your thigh. Oh my God! Did you know you had your hand on her th- on his thigh? I did. I mean, oh my you know. God! I don't know if you just got carried away. I was and doing all a job, sudden. but he also he was very cute, and um, yeah, there was just like a little sparkle. There was a connection. There yeah. was something, and um, yeah, and he was like, I, I, he was very flustered and was like, I just, I, I, you know, she's pretty and i i think i like her and oh my god like, oh my god you're a doctor shut fail, it down fail, shut fail, it down right? yeah. you failure yes mission abort yes <laughs> and then so, what happened um well it, so he eventually went to the he tracked down the director of the program um and uh and asked for my number oh that's so <laughs> crazy and she said absolutely not this is a hundred percent inappropriate this is the whole reason we do these exercises to ferret people like you out of the oh system oh my god and he said no it's not i've never felt like this before i just you know i looked into her eyes i had a connection and all and so they they brought me into the office one day and said we need to talk to you about something that's happened and i was like oh my god what you know someone died right <laughs> what's happened they said no there was this this one doctor who just did not get it. And you know, this is why we teach these things to begin with. We explained, you are an actress. You had no interest in him. The, you know. And, <laughs> You're and, like, time and out. I was, yes. Actually, <laughs> time out. I was sitting there thinking, how badly do I need this job? <laughs> right? And, but it, it paid really well. It pays, it's a really good job. It's a great job to have as an actor. Because um, you get to act. You do really get to act and, um, but crazy yeah. i had yeah. no idea a job like that existed yeah, I've had i know there are right? so many jobs like that that we don't even know exist oh totally i i want to know about all of those jobs that we don't know exist yeah, yeah. me too it was a great job for a million reasons i mean because it paid well because it was interesting because it was actually in my field but also i became a better patient from it oh i would imagine i became a way better patient not that i was breaking boundaries with anybody but just in knowing to um how to talk to a doctor Knowing how to, and not assuming that the doctor has all the answers that I'm going to walk in and say my tummy hurts and they're going to know right. to really like take more note of my symptoms and when mm. they happen and um, and to just yeah to just not assume anything. Well, you know, um, it's so true well, because when I take when my dad goes to the doctor or when I take my kids to the doctor 
you know, how are you feeling today? <laughs> I took Isla one. She was like, I'm okay. I'm like, you have a fucking fever. You're not okay. <laughs> totally. I do so that all the time we, at the doctor. Yeah. You have to say everything. Well, my throat hurts. And you're also congested. And you've also had a fever for 12 hours. And you've also done this. And you also have that. You have to tell them everything. So they, but for most people, I wonder why it's not innate more innate to say well i need to tell you everything that's going on for me i don't know if you get nervous when the doctor shows up of what happens for people i don't get nervous i feel like i overtell or you don't want to complain maybe yeah i don't know it's a polite situation right but also it's like there's the respect of that expert that you just think okay the experts in the room they're going to sort this out (laughs) That maybe, and maybe I wonder if you don't, I, I guess for me, I would always think, well, I don't want to waste their time. Um, I right. don't want to waste yeah. their time jabbering. But at the same time, if they don't have all the information, they right. can't They can't help you appropriately. They Absolutely. can only help you for what you give to them. I feel that way about teachers, too. I had, a te- I had to meet with Isla's teacher this morning, and I felt myself getting really nervous. And I thought, you know, it's a knee-jerk reaction because... A teacher is an authority figure Mm -hmm. as a child for how many years? Right. And now he's not my authority figure, but I still feel like I'm going to the principal's office. I'm in trouble for something just to say, hey, my daughter's dyslexic. Do you have any videos she could watch about the fall of the Roman Empire? (laughs) We'll read the book too, but videos would be helpful for her i was still like oh my god i gotta go talk to the teacher no i'm still that way when people at school refer to the principal by her first name i'm like no it's mrs so and so like well yeah i do that too (laughs) yeah it's mr yeah i have no idea what his first name is um but uh yeah i don't know maybe it's that way for doctors too that's a really cool job i wonder what are the kind of crazy jobs you know of any other crazy jobs that you didn't do but you know of like, That's so funny that you say that because I feel like I just had a conversation where I was like, who even knew that job existed? Like, and I don't remember what it was, right. but I feel like that's happened recently where I'm like, how does that even come to be? Yeah, you I don't know, know what I mean? Like, there's all this random stuff that people do. Right. But, you know, nowadays, I guess you can have any job you want. Really? You can probably create whatever universe you want as long as I guess you make money at it. You know, as you can sustain yeah, theoretically. a life. Theoretically. Like we were talking about after the podcast, we went to a bar. And we were talking about this website called Teachers Paying Teachers. Is that what it's called? Yes. Where there are lots of um, graphics and lesson plans and stuff you can download for really very little money. So it's like you said, it's a side hustle um, where the teacher is making five bucks for me to gladly pay five bucks for a set of graphics that I can print out and use in my Girl Scout troop where she's making money is such a win-win. There's got to, there's so many jobs like that nowadays where it may be there's not their only job. Uh, Kirsten recommended this um podcast called what was it called side, side hustle, hustle school, school. Yeah. i listened to a couple of episodes they're really short like 10 12 15 mm-hmm. minute episodes about people's side hustles and none of them i don't think any of them that i listened to i didn't listen to many none of them were their primary source of income they were truly a side hustle but if a right. side hustle makes you 30 grand that's a lot Right. You know, that's a lot. You're happy doing it. It's something you love, right? You know, that helps a lot, too. I think whether it makes you a ton of money or not, you know? Yeah. You know, I I was uh, someone commented on YouTube um, that, you know, we were talking about in the several episodes, not only with you, but with uh, Margaret and Kathy, um, 
Kathy Reisinger about what do we do now that our kids are older? What career do we have now? And this woman emailed and she said, you know, you guys don't ever talk about the people who just want a job. They just want a job that pays their bills, that they just go to their job and they go home. And I thought, you know, we haven't talked about Mm -hmm. that at all. But there are people who just want to go to work and go home. I I remember working in an office in New York when I lived in New York. And there were several employees who just wanted to go in and answer the phone and go home. And they didn't have any kind of like, I need to have a startup. I need to have my life fulfilled by this Mm -hmm. job. So I wonder if... Well, I did that when... um, when Vivian was in kindergarten um, I was looking for a job and I got a job and that that it was that kind of a job it was an office job where I was doing um, clerical work and it was in and out and there was no thinking about it at home and that was that was my dream at the time not my dream but that's the kind of job that I wanted I wanted something where I was making money and could just close the door on it at the end of the day that it wasn't something that I was thinking about all the time right so because I'm thinking about my kids all the time and dealing with my kids activities and and stuff all the time I wanted to keep that going but have that be just it's a purely money job I know why I'm there it's just to make money to have that security that financial security and then um nothing else and there is there's there's a big appeal to that I yeah think, yeah in a lot of ways there is we a big deal. We all had jobs like that. Like I've definitely had a couple of jobs where you're like, I, I, I'm doing this because I need to. Yeah. But I could care less what happens one way or the other. You know what I mean? Like you go in, you do it, you leave and that's it. Well, I it's have bad, but. two, but it was always to support something else. Like I worked in college to pay my way through college. And, yeah. and I worked... I worked when I first moved to Hollywood so that I could write. I worked minimal hours for maximum money so that I could write. So one was supporting the other. I don't know that I've ever had a time in my life where I just worked a job to work that job. Do you know what I mean? Like someone who, who I, I um, not to put any words in anybody's mouth, but uh, I just chaperoned a Girl Scout troop meeting with another mom. And I asked her what she does. And she's, she works for like a motorcycle helmet company where she just... Uh, she sources motorcycle helmets from overseas and then she distributes them for this company and it's clearly a job that she goes to and she works and she goes home and she has two kids and she has family obligations she has a full life right but that that's her she's not trying she has no side hustle (laughs) Mm -hmm. i've never had a job without a side hustle i've always been hustling so i think for me that's the norm but clearly that's not the norm you know, most people in America work a job so that they can pay their bills and it's not a career. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like driving yeah. a tow truck or, you know, uh, that that clearly maybe that's someone's dream job, perhaps. I'm sure for some people it would be. But for some people, it's just a job, you know. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. There's I guess there's something maybe I missed. Maybe that was not how I'm wired. I've never been able to just stay on one thing ever. But sometimes that se- that, that sounds really nice. <laughs> to just go to a job and go home. Sounds really nice. <laughs> yeah, so. it's a... Well, and when you talked about what you got from the four-hour work week of compen- compartmentalizing different times of the day and days, that's a good way of to 
compartmentalize your life that it's right. like well i go to my job from mm-hmm. these hours and then you know that the rest of the hours are blocked off for something else for something else yeah, yeah. i don't know yeah it was an interesting yeah. comment i really appreciated it because you know we all ha- only have our own worlds and sometimes right. we forget to look outside of that and i don't ever want to forget i don't ever mean to forget but it's part of you know it's part of how people are um and some of the worlds we can't relate to i could never relate to growing up in an inner city in poverty i didn't didn't grow up like that so you know just with i guess no one in my life no one ever had a job just to have a job i mean like my two aunts who i was close to they were career nurse and teachers like they're early stay late complete passion take every single supplemental class do go above and beyond my dad was so passionate about cars and mechanics owned his own shop was constantly learning and improving so not that you don't learn and improve when you're in a regular job but it was i think it's a different it's a different mindset right just to be like I'm going to go and earn a paycheck and do an excellent job at that job. And then I'm going to close the door and go home and do an excellent job at home or whatever. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Interesting concept. Anybody in your lives that just works a job just to work? Um, My mom did for a long time, actually. Yeah. Like after she retired, like she's bored at home alone. So she worked retail, but I don't know. I mean, she didn't need to work it. She wanted to. Yeah. Um, but you would think that it was her career. <laughs> you would think that it was her career. Oh, she did not leave. <laughs> she did not leave Walmart at Walmart. Let me say, she um, took it seriously. Oh, more than you could possibly imagine. No way. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Are you kidding? You've uh, met her. You know. I know Connie yes. well, pretty well. Yes. Um, That's pretty funny. Yeah. I feel like she's actually had a bunch of jobs just to have jobs. Like. Oh yeah. I think so. I mean, she, you know, was a stay-at-home mom forever. And then she went, you know, she started volunteering at school and then that turned into a job and then she got a job at the local library because she loved it. But like I don't think we needed to have that. Right. Like we certainly weren't wealthy, but like I don't think she had to work. We weren't it wasn't going to make or break us. Right. Um yeah, I think she just likes to not to be busy. Right. So to have a purpose, sort yeah. of. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the same thing. Because she always took everything pretty seriously. Right. So I'm not sure it was just a job for a job. But she needed a purpose. Yeah. Sounded like. Other than you children. You blood sucking <laughs> leech children that we yes. all have. <laughs> yeah. That is true. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think I had a job once that was just a job. I guess. And nothing else going on? No other? Well, no, see, that's not true. So I worked um, as a hostess slash assistant manager in a restaurant when I was in grad school. And then when I finished grad school, I started my career. And then the restaurant had like five locations around Boston. A very good friend of ours was a manager. And he's like, I need somebody to come work for me in a different location than what I had worked at originally. So... I went back to work, even though I had a full-time job. Right. So, because they were like, I need somebody who's already gets it and knows it and whatever. So I worked for like another year and a half at this other location. Um, But I still had, like that wasn't, it was fun. I had a great time doing it, but it wasn't, 
it was just a job at that point. Right. It was not supporting me. Right. Because I was working full time. Right. So I don't know if that's the same kind of thing, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It sounds like yeah. the comment was more about having yeah. like a career job, but it's you don't think about it in in the term of career, what I'm doing for my career, how I'm driving this career. Right. right. But it's more just, that I like that, you know, I need a job because I need money to pay for my rent or food you know because having yeah, a job just is a normal to part support of myself like yeah. right but that it's not something that's a passion project it's not like oh i'm an artist and i always wanted to do this or oh i'm a yeah well it's hard because we live in hollywood so everyone comes out here just about everybody comes out here in pursuit of a dream right of a dream job as a writer an actress a musician a producer director hot mm-hmm. shot you know in some capacity. I know you didn't move out here for that, Kathy. To be a mom. But, I mean, yeah, really. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> because getting pregnant in California is so much easier. No, but Stephen came out here yes, that's in, true. in pursuit of that. We, yes, we followed his dream, not mine. But, yeah, totally. Yeah. But, but so when you step outside of Hollywood, right, and you go back to my hometown, people, their, their dream is to have a steady job. A steady job that lasts for a long time. You know, like I have a cousin who finally got a job. Um, not finally got a job. He's worked always. But he got, a, like, his dream job was working for the school system. So he's in, like, maintenance for the school system, which is a really secure job. Excellent benefits. Doable hours. And he likes the people he works with. Super excited. Really happy. For him, that's his dream job. Like, he goes to work, he goes home, and he knows he's got a job the next day, and he knows what that job's about, and he knows what's expected of him, and he knows the minimum, you know, that he can do, and he knows the maximum, and it's really, that's really what it is for him. It really is his dream job, I think. I think he's been looking for this type of job for a long time, and it's, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's just a job, that sounds terrible, but it's like, it's not a, like a dream. No, I don't think kids go, I can't wait to be in maintenance at a school system, you know? Right. <laughs> but right. the dream is is about what that gives him, yeah. you know, gives him benefits and stability and, and uh, a good work environment, like that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's interesting. I think you may be right about that. Like when I think about my cousins back in Maine, yeah, I think it's the same thing. They yeah. all have jobs that they've worked at for 20, 25 years, yeah. or whatever, and they're happy uh-huh but it i think it probably is just a job like they've all you know they go up the ladder or whatever yeah. but did they ever set out for that was that a career i don't think so but it's all it's you know it pays the bills it's fine they're happy with it mm-hmm. it's a different mentality i think it is a different mentality and a different expectation yeah. and i wonder what makes the wiring different because like I said, even in my family, even from that same small town, my cousin grew up the same town that my dad and his two sisters, who have always been really ambitious with their careers. Um, now, they have a brother, who my, my uncle, who I think more just wanted a steady work, not necessarily to build something. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what makes the difference. What what is what makes the difference in a person you know because i grew up in partly in that small town too but my mother was very ambitious and my dad was very ambitious and my dad's ambition was to be a mechanic and own his own shop it wasn't like he wanted to be the ceo of gm <laughs> he wanted to own his own shop in our local mm-hmm. hometown and he did it 
But that's a different thing than showing up to a local mechanic shop, p- punching your clock, yeah. and, and going home. For 15 years. Yeah. yeah. It's a different drive. I wonder what makes them different. You know, what? why there's a difference. Is it just disposition personality? Is it environmental? Is it... So I think it's both. Self-esteem? Is it? I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, it's probably yeah. a mix of everything. It's probably a lot easier for somebody who is raised with huge self-esteem and in a wealthy environment and, you know, with everything at their disposal. Um, it's probably easier for them to think in terms of dreaming and what's my ideal simply because you don't have to um, struggle struggle for it. But at the same time, I, I I don't know. I think it's in the same way that like your first child has a different disposition than your second child or, you know, there's just so many different things that sort of shape the... Who you are. Yeah, who you are and how you look at the world. And I don't know about the being, being privileged and I, I don't know that that has... I don't know about that because I know... I don't think it makes all the difference, but no. I just mean that I don't I don't mean that privileged people are necessarily going to do better things with their lives. But just in the same way that if um, your dad didn't come from privilege, that he he's you can still have ambition. You can actually exactly, have more yes. ambition if you don't come from privilege. But I but it doesn't mean that you want to be an entrepreneur. That's just from his own unique right. disposition. Right. Probably. I wonder what the gardener's disposition is because he has shown up with the blower right outside the door. Disposition, grumpy. Disposition, don't listen to authority. Disposition, want my paycheck for cutting half a tree down. Half the job. He's making my disposition ornery. (laughs) Blowing this damn thing every time. Every time. Stupid thing. They can hear it, can't they, Halston, on the on the podcast? Oh yeah, they can. Hear oh it. yeah, of course, because he gets right at the damn door. Those things are loud too. They are so loud. Yeah. He needs to go old school, and he's blowing my chicken coop. There's a chicken on the nest. He's totally. Oh my god. Poor Charlotte. She's like in a windstorm. No wonder. Right? She's like, look, she just came out. She was like, fuck this. I am out. Her feathers are literally ruffled. I will cross my legs until this man leaves. I am not laying an egg on these conditions. Look, he's going to come knock on the door. He's going to come knock on the door. Oh, no, he's not. Okay, good. Oh, boy. I wonder what his ambitions were when he got out of high school. I mean, I don't know. I know he worked in a nursery for a long time, uh-huh. like a, a plant nursery. Yeah. Not a baby nursery. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I think we've been talking about jobs over the past in, inadvertently and directly about careers and jobs over the past several yes. episodes because I did one with um, Margaret and Kathy and Kathy feels the same way as this Kathy does. Like, kids are almost gone. What do I do now? And Kathy, I think... She's got a full-time job. She has a full-time job that I I believe she said this. I don't want to put words in her mouth either, that she kind of fell into Mm -hmm. and is a good fit for her. But is it like 
my dream come true. I don't know if it's her dream come true job. And I wonder if sometimes you see, I wonder if it's hard to, to see. I just started a blog and now I'm worth a million dollars. I just created spreadable granola and now I'm worth a million dollars. To just think that that is possible for everybody. When really it's not possible for everybody. Although some form of a dream may be possible for everybody. It, I wonder, because I think about that too with all these YouTubers who are making a million dollars for what? For putting makeup on in front of a camera? Right. Yeah. You know that one woman that cuts open like squishy balls? Have you seen this idiot? Oh, sorry. I shouldn't say that. This person (laughs) that just cuts things open on camera? And she talks in a baby voice, and she has like three million followers. Who people who sit there and watch her cut shit open? Because our culture is stupid. I guess. Like... No, I've not seen that. You haven't? No. That's all she does. You know those squishy balls yeah. where you put stuff inside them? There's like, it's full of unicorns. So she'll cut them open and like, just pull them apart. And <laughs> Isla is watching this. It's like self-destruction. It's, and she's part. talking. And she talked to baby talk. Oh, look at the little unicorn. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, shoot me. Someone shoot me. Oh my I God. feel my brain turning to jelly as I'm watching this. I'm just, my IQ points are plummeting <laughs> watching wow. this. But... Like three million people or something crazy like that. So crazy. Wow. Right? Yeah. So if I am a young person watching that person cut shit right. up on YouTube for three million followers making a gazillion dollars. I mean, I, we just went to dinner with some people who are YouTubers. They were making $100,000 a month from their YouTube channel. I mean, What? And this, I think, yeah. I mean, what? No, that sort of thing makes you think, where have I gone wrong in my life? <laughs> what am I doing? You know what? It also makes me think, I'm scared for my kids who yeah. are growing up watching this, going, oh, I don't need college. I'm just going to go out and be on YouTube. Yeah. Exactly. No, no yeah. fucking way you're not. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, a, YouTube isn't even going to exist then, and nobody. <laughs> You know, everybody will have else will, done. No, exactly. Know, but but the, everybody will have done all of the stupid things, all the cutting open of squishies by then. You know, it's not like this isn't be, a career yeah. path for you. There'll be something new. There but will be like, something new. It yeah. is terrifying to think yeah. like this is your way. This is your path. I'm like, that's not a realistic path. Or that's that a this random is, like luck of the draw. It is a bit of a luck of the draw. And, you know, that that's the standard. Like when my yeah. dad got out of school. Here was the standard accountant, doctor, lawyer, mechanic, nurse, teacher, you know, professor, uh, like like job, job, sort of. That's not really a job to be a YouTuber. I mean, it is a job. I don't want to say that, but it is a job, but it is there's no path to it. Uh-huh. So there's no like right. if you go to school and you take the classes in accounting and you graduate as an accountant yeah. and you pass the test as an accountant, you can hang your shingle and be an accountant. Right. You can do everything. Same steps as this YouTube channel that has $100,000 a month and get nothing. Yeah. Right. You, I mean, and get nothing. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And you know that I was listening on NPR today about this doc. This uh, professor has written a book called um, Oh shoot, I'm never going to remember the name of it. But it's about coddling the the coddling of American youth, something like that. Mm-hmm. He is a college professor, and all this kind of microaggression 
stuff that's happening where like he said he i heard in his interview he said you know i showed this um class a, a picture we were talking about sirens you know mermaids and i showed them a picture drawn from hundreds of years ago and the siren the sirens are all topless because that's how they were always portrayed mm-hmm. and he said i got um v- like vengeful emails about this from students of how they were offended and how they were this was sexist and this was you know all these things that he was like no actually i'm just talking about art that was made hundreds of years ago as it relates Mm -hmm. to what we're studying now and trying to weave something for you guys but america has been coddled american kids since the 90s have been coddled such that they don't know how to uh they don't have any metal they can't Mm -hmm. like muscle through anything that makes them uncomfortable Mm. their uncomfortable is the important thing so they focus on their uncomfortableness as opposed to that makes me uncomfortable but what's the bigger picture what what are they trying to say really Mm. how does this relate to what he's teaching he's clearly not standing on class to show me boobies because if he's going to show me boobies we just open a playboy clearly you know yeah there was a purpose to that. and that art by the way is beautiful to some people so now does he stop showing that picture because he's going to offend somebody and make them uncomfortable mm-hmm. i don't know and how does now i think the hard part too is i don't know i don't even know if maybe it's a little bit worse maybe not when you present the class with just so you know you may see something offensive in this class yeah like that's the caveat and you're like so yeah. now he's got to go back and, you know, put that, what I forget what the word is, like open space or just like let everybody know this is a safe space or this may offend you. Right. So if you need yeah. to leave, go right ahead. Disclaimer, life is going to offend you. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, what's the book called, Austin? Uh, I texted it to you. It's a really long title. Oh, it's a really long title. Uh, I didn't get your text. Um the coddling of the American mind. Jeez, that's too oh long. God, that is a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just stick with the coddling of the American mind by dot, Greg Lukanoff and Jonathan Haidt. And Jonathan was the one that was on NPR today. Um, I'll put a link to it on my website. Um, but I don't know that I'm going to read it, but I, I just thought what he was saying was really fascinating. And to relate it to getting a job... Mm-hmm. If kids are thinking, well, what's happening on YouTube is the norm, and I, I, you can't go through these uncomfortable times of I'm waiting tables at uh, a restaurant where I have to, you know, push my boobs on a guy to get served, then not that you have to do that, but that you have to be a fake patient at UCLA so that you can act, so that, you know, you can do things that make you uncomfortable because that's part of life. And sometimes you don't have a six-figure job when you graduate from college. In fact, most of the time you don't. Right. But if this YouTuber is cutting shit up and making oh hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, what what message are the kids getting? You know, what are they supposed to think? Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. Especially like, I don't know, we've got kids going to college very soon. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, that's terrifying. Yeah. It is terrifying. At the same time, it's hard to know what to tell them to do because getting a degree is no longer a path to getting a job. Not necessarily, no. Um, If you're a doctor. Right. Right. There are certain things that are guaranteed. You have to have that degree. Yeah. But yeah, there's so much out there. Yep. 
It's it's overwhelming, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So on that podcast with Kathy and Margaret, Margaret was talking about this test that her neighbor had taken. Not a career test, but she's later found the test. It's an aptitude test. She was explaining this to me a couple days ago. I guess it is a test that was developed by IBM, or IBM had developed. Some psychologists developed the actual test where you have four half-day sessions where they give you um, stuff to do, like two-dimensional puzzles, three-dimensional puzzles, question and answer about stuff, uh, conversation about stuff. And at the end of the four days, the psychologists, I think multiple psychologists run the test with you. They kind of tell you what your aptitude is. You're really good with people. You're really good with your hands and, and building things. You're very highly organized or whatever your aptitude is. And to start from that place when you start thinking about a career. And the example she used was her friend that told her about this was really interested in being a psychologist but he took this aptitude testing when he was like a senior in high school and that testing showed him to be really good with music and really good with his hands but he decided to follow what he was interested in which was psychology and he became a psychologist and he practiced for a while and he got really bored So he went back to those test results and he thought to himself, you know, I do love music and I like building like soundboards a lot. I like sound engineer stuff way better like than I thought I would. So he he changed his career entirely and became this person that like builds uh, sound engineering type rooms and recording studios and is so happy. And it's just so natural to him because it fits his aptitude, not necessarily his interest. I wonder if that is it. That to me is an interesting thing to explore as a person. Because I look at my two children who have totally different aptitudes Mm -hmm. and some similar interests. And I go, well, one of you would be amazing at that. The other one would probably be fine. And as long as you're happy, I guess it's all that really matters. But I'm I'm interested in that aptitude testing thing. Mm, me too. I think I may go. I may go have my. They said uh, what the man told Margaret was that at 14 your aptitude's sort of set, so you can take this test any time after you're 14. So I was thinking about going with Georgia and us doing it together because I'd love to know what my aptitudes are. Where do they do this test? Like uh, somewhere here locally. You have to go to. You have to go to a place. Yeah, you have to go to huh. a place for so maybe next summer when That's we're out cool. of school, we'll yeah. go four days in a row. And uh, I mean, I don't really want to wait till summer, but if you if uh, maybe <laughs> they break. Yeah, no, right? Maybe maybe they can do it over the course of four weekends, like half a day each weekend on a Saturday or something. But. Um, I'll have to call and find out. But I'm really fascinated by that because I don't know that everybody has the aptitude to be a YouTuber. (laughs) You know, not everybody has that aptitude. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd love to do that. uh, Well, come do it with us. (laughs) Um, We could all do it and talk about it on a podcast. (laughs) As along with our, I reached out to Jair to see if he would come back and he said he would. Awesome. Great. So uh, I'm gonna see. Uh, I'm gonna see. Yeah, I want to talk to him further about coming back and see who wants to do the his testing and talk about it, um, which was really fascinating. But I wish we. I wish I believed, and I don't believe this, but I wish the future of careers and jobs were based on aptitude, like that we could have some kind of turn or shift back to the way it kind of was more when I was young when kids went to vocational school and it was okay 
acceptable, encouraged to be a plumber or an electrician or a builder or, you know, something like that. I don't feel like that's maybe it is encouraged in other places. Uh, yeah, I don't know um, yeah. if it is or not. It's it's hard to sort of look outside of your bubble on that um, because maybe there are places that still encourage that. I think it's, I mean, it's great and it's necessary. And it's also really, um, you can make a lot of money like as an electrician. Yeah, you do. Yeah, my boyfriend from high school is an electrician. He's retiring next year. And he's my, I mean, he's, I mean he'll be 50 next year. It's so a highly skilled job. Highly skilled. Like, yeah. Plumbing also. Yeah. Highly skilled job. And they, they deserve and the money in they demand. get. demand. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because nobody's doing it. Because yeah. you're either a college graduate or a loser. And that's not true. Right. Yeah. It's not true. But that seems to be the mentality. Even in my high school, they, you know, I know I've said this a million times, but they used to bus kids to vocational school during high school. So, like, after first period, they go to vocational school and learn a trade. But they don't do that anymore. You can only do that on your own dime, on your own time. Yeah, I wonder if my high school does that. Mm-hmm. We had a vocational school in our high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if that's still there. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Van Nuys I, High School here does have has some vocational classes in their high school. We had like an auto body shop, uh-huh. like a mechanic shop. Yeah, so and there we. is, yeah. Our high school wasn't big enough for that. I mean, we only had about... 60 or 70 kids per grade oh wow so they would bus to uh the county had one vocational school that all these small town schools would bus those kids to so that they you know had enough kids to teach a full class that was my high school was like the hub was the hub yeah okay yeah but i just think that is really a shame that they don't do that anymore in education even in la i mean everywhere just there's so many people who were born and raised in la who are not here to be dream seekers yeah they're here to work a a job just like we were talking about and that's not offered for them either van nuys high school i was so impressed with that high school because they had um they had a a mechanic like a mechanic shop Mm -hmm. like shop class they had woodworking they had flower arranging what an amazing job that's cool to get out of school and just get a job arranging flowers that's, I mean, I, it's, I'm sure you're not going to buy a million-dollar house while you're arranging flowers, but it's a great job. But who knows? Maybe know. you become an Instagrammer, a famous flower-arranging Instagrammer. <laughs> and See, now you're going back into that that YouTuber. <laughs> as you're going back in the YouTuber, yeah, Kirsten. But, but having a skill. Having yeah, yeah. a skill yeah, exactly. yes. you then do that is different than cutting open. I mean, I guess cutting open. There's no skill. Do you, don't try. No, there's, there's, there's no, no skill. skill. She yeah. knows the right scissors to buy. Yeah. She uses she the right baby voice. She does always have her nails done. Yeah. But yeah. Well, that, with $100,000 a month, I'd have my nails done too. Me too, right? Yeah, just sit for 15 minutes and I'd play with goop, right? For that. Right, we could all step it up for that. I could hire two or three maids that don't clean well, right? Yes. <laughs> and then between the three of them, they get that toothpaste off that one glass. But yeah, I mean, I guess you could be a flower arranger and become maybe an event planner or or an yeah, entrepreneur, I mean, own your own place. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, yeah, not, uh, there should be more of that, don't you think? <laughs> I do, actually. I do too. I think the drive to go to college is really hard on kids. Yeah, it is. Not everyone is made to go to college, and no. that's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. No, there's not. 
but I have a kid who um, I wouldn't be surprised if Isla said I'm not going to college and I'm actually fine with that as long as she had a focus I don't care what the focus would be I don't care if she wants to work at the zoo Bert keeps going my kid's not working at the zoo and I'm like you know what if she is <laughs> so good with animals that if if that's really what she wanted to do why not absolutely she'd be so fulfilled and you know she probably won't choose that that's something a child thinks would be amazing and then when you're really scooping elephant turds you're like maybe not but you know if she decided to be in the art department in a film studio does she really need a degree for that she has such an aptitude for that or like even like i could see her being at a zoo you know, and just working her way up and in 20 years going, you know what, in order for me to run this zoo, I have to go back to college and doing it then when she's ready. I wouldn't be do you surprised know what I mean? either. Do you know how yeah. many people do that? Yeah, a lot of they people. They just yeah. start out and then eventually they go when back. they're ready. Yeah. I know. It I is totally amazing how many people in their 40s and 50s mm-hmm. I know who are currently in college or just yeah. graduated. It's pretty it's cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. I from time to time wonder if I should go back and just finish. I, d- I never graduated college. Um, just to have a degree but I don't really want a degree and I don't want a degree in what I would graduate <laughs> so uh-huh. I don't, I'm like well no, okay never mind yeah. but what would your degree be in uh, I would have to choose I spent the first two years in college studying psychology I wanted mm-hmm. to be a high school guidance counselor and then um, really bad things happened my sophomore year you know my dad divorced and i have the date rape happened in my sophomore year so everything kind of shut down and i was drinking so excessively that i couldn't really i couldn't stay at that school mm-hmm. i had to transfer schools that was my only hope so when i transferred schools i went to georgia state university so i could live with my mom while i went to school uh, because that's the only way I could afford to go to school. I was like part on a uh, on a Pell Grant because I had single parents and I worked my ass off and I had student loans. And my dad helped me some. Um, so I was just kind of piecemealing being able to pay for college. So I had to go somewhere I could live with my mom. Um, and I hated their psychology department. The psychology department at my first college was very... Um, they had a whole a whole like section on the supernatural (laughs) so they were not very clinical they were very kind of they were very cognitive behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. focused and very kind of like what's your life experience and how does that affect your behavior which i was really interested in but when i transferred schools it was very clinical and i didn't like it i was like i don't have any interest in this at all Mm -hmm. so because I scored the exact same on my SATs for English and math, like the same number. I was really good in, uh, math was really easy. I changed to finance because I thought I'll just get out of it. I'll just get out of school. And I thought I was dying. I thought I was dying because I had no interest in doing anything in finance. I really chose that for my mom because my mom really wanted me to be like a real estate mogul. And I was like, well, then I should, I should maybe, I was listening to her still at that time. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the psychology, she thought I was an idiot for wanting to be a high school guidance counselor, that that was the dumbest thing ever. (laughs) So, you know, I was so broken by the time I left that sophomore year in college, I was in such a mess that I was grasping at anything. 
at any kind of acceptance or love or encouragement from an adult. Um, so I went into finance and I hated it. I made terrible grades because I hated it. And my fourth year, um, I still had a year left because I had changed my major. I said, fuck it, move to New York City. I, I got to get out of here. I'm dying here. So I left without graduating. Wow. So um, I know you're not going to go back and do this but you would be such a great school guidance counselor now <laughs> wouldn't she yes right. oh, i loved it you know i loved my high school guidance counselor her name was jan johnson and i loved her uh you know and she didn't really help me much but for whatever reason i, I did i didn't go to her for help but i just knew she was there and she was just this like warm spot in the school and i needed that so, and even though my stuff with my dad at the time I thought was fine, you know, because I was super happy to be with him and not with my mom, that I just thought, I want to do that. Like, I like that job. I like that she dealt with so many different aspects of a student, mm-hmm. you know, emotional problems, educational problems, where to go to college, do you go to technical school instead of college, decision making, uh, planning. Uh, I just liked every aspect of what she did. So I thought, well, that's what I want to do for a living and I I I was like I was like I had a 4.0 average my entire freshman year Um, I was in an honor society I was doing great and then sophomore year whooped my ass just whooped it it was awful for stuff that had nothing to do with education which really stinks Mm -hmm. so I think I just really got sidetracked in my path so which is in now in retrospect is okay because I'm here and I like my life. I'm super happy. But I do sometimes wish I had my psychology degree. And, you know, it would take me. I already looked into this. I could go back to CSUN and get my degree. It would take me, uh, I think it's something like five semesters to finish everything. Because there's some requirements in the state of California. Obviously, I was in Georgia. That I had like two or three requirements I'd have to do for California yeah and then the rest of it would be focused on my degree so I mean I could do it but that's not much it's not that much don't look at me like that (laughs) there's probably also an online version online way to do it there is have to show up oh I already looked into all of it (laughs) for all for all for two of the three California requirements I could do them online through Pasadena Community College or City College or whatever it's called PCC um, and then transfer to CSUN for um, the psychology stuff. But the psychology stuff I'd really want to do at um, Cal State Long Beach because they have a better psychology program. And who's driving to Long Beach from here, from the valley, on the reg? Not me. So so I was like, whatever. I'll just start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost the same. It's very similar. It's the same. Yes. <laughs> I'll give myself a degree. <laughs> <laughs> professional podcaster <laughs> i don't know maybe you know maybe and i'll go on youtube okay. i know right and i'll go on youtube and make a hundred thousand dollars a month and well, who needs to be a psychologist yeah you're on youtube now so right. i am See? on youtube i mean so we're about be to be on it. youtube with the podcast party so i, know. I mean you're on youtube on my podcast i'm just gonna duh. call myself a youtuber from now on <laughs> you are so youtubey <laughs> you are youtubey now when you were in school did you just want to be an actor how did you yeah. come to that no, I 100%. I always wanted to. But when I was a kid, I always wanted to. I was always putting on plays at home. I took dance class. I sang. I was in the plays at school. Yeah, it was just, I always knew it. So, so now, but you're not yeah. acting now. I'm not. Um, 
so I in high school I knew that I wanted to to do that but it was also sort of an expectation that I get my degree um and so I fast-tracked my bachelor's degree and did it in two years whoa (laughs) I did it like every semester um Mm -hmm. so all summer long and um just so that I could get out the door and to New York and I went to theater school there and um then when I finished that I moved here um and I was acting and I was supporting myself and just in small things, little couple of lines on a TV show, a couple of lines in a movie, just, you know, doing that road and auditioning a lot, a couple of commercials, um, a lot of plays. And I was happy and I got married and lots and lots of crazy jobs. You know, I typed out my whole list of the crazy <laughs> right, right, jobs right. that I had. Um, lots and lots of survival jobs. But then when I got pregnant with my first daughter, um, I I literally looked at, we were sitting watching TV one night and I turned to Richard and just said, I'm done. And he was like, what are you done with? Like, <laughs> you want a divorce? What? <laughs> I was like, oh no, I'm just, I'm done acting and he went oh well is it you know is it because you're showing and you know we can you can audit like there are still lots of commercials for pregnant women and whatever and he's like you can you know wait take some time after the baby and get back into it and I was like no I just I feel complete wow I just I just felt done and I I mean ironically I have acted since then a very small amount just because Richard was producing a movie and I got to know the director and he was like oh we have to have you in this and whatever so I've done a little a tiny little bit since then but um yeah I just and I wasn't done I didn't feel done in terms of like oh I no longer had passion for acting I still loved that and when I got an opportunity to do it I really enjoyed it but I was done with all of the hustle. Right. I was just a hundred percent done with the hustle, hundred percent done with, I mean, talking about headshots. Oh my God. The talking about headshots, the headshots that, I mean, yeah, the business of the the business business of it, the, the sitting in auditions with a ton of different women who look like some variation on you and the sort of, you know, sizing each other up and all of this. I was just like, I can't do it. I'm just, you're done. I'm done. Yeah. And I really haven't looked back at all. I mean, I've done a couple of little things, but not putting it out there like at all. And I, I do feel complete. I don't feel any. This is amazing. That's good though. That's amazing. Yes. (laughs) I think that's amazing because so many people don't ever come to that place. Long time ago, Bert and I had this conversation about bravery. I was like, you know what? I think it is really brave to realize your path is changing and to go okay it's time to change there's so many people in hollywood who don't realize that it's time for the path to change it doesn't mean that was wasted doesn't mean that was for nothing it doesn't mean anything other than oh there's a fork in the road i can either keep going or i can take a right and i'm going to choose to take a right because so many people choose to keep going down the road and the road doesn't give them joy that's mm-hmm. the problem. You march down that road all day long if it gives you joy. But if you find yourself in turmoil, in dire straits, in financial ruin, is that really your path? I believe that the good Lord makes things easy. They should be not that everything's easy, but there's a path. There's a 
there's an effortlessness even in the difficulty of something when you're on the right path. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if it's even if it's hard work, there's an effortlessness to the hard work. Yes, or a joy to the hard work. Or a joy. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a the a, a filling of self somehow instead of a depleting of self. And I'm not saying that you were going down this negative path of acting, but to be able to have that self-awareness to say, no, actually I'm I'm going to take the right-hand road now and I feel good about that. That's really powerful. Really oh, amazing. That's um yeah, I didn't really it wasn't a dramatic moment. It wasn't like Oh my God! <laughs> but it doesn't have Something to be. Has shown right. itself to me, but yeah, I, okay, I appreciate that. <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be. But it's really yeah. brave. I think it's really brave to to live in the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of to live in the dream. So if if I came yeah. out here to be an actor, damn it, I'm going to be an actor instead. No matter what. No matter what, I came out yeah. here to be an actor, and I went to a meeting at an agency that was pretty big. That my acting teacher in New York, I studied Meisner in New York, had set up this meeting because he really believed in me. And in the meeting, that agent, really big agent, said to me, you have a choice to make. I was, same height I am now, was 108 pounds. Oh, my God. And he goes, you can either stop eating lunch, start smoking cigarettes, drop about 10 pounds, or you can be the fat best friend. You need to decide. And I went, I'm going to decide to write (laughs) i'm gonna decide this is not the town for me as an actress 108 pounds you must have been so skinny i was tiny yeah Yeah. but to lose 10 more pounds i I would have been under 100 pounds and in that moment i thought i'm not in the right place so i i kicked around for a little while longer as an actress and i had a relationship with someone who put me in a couple things she did and I had a relationship with another guy who put me in some plays that he did and I just let it fade off and focused on writing because I thought this is not my path that was my path in New York but that's not my path now if I'm going to stay here I, I need to make a different choice and I never really look back much either I don't ever pine to act I, I do pine to write sometimes yes me too but yeah. I don't ever go God I wish I was shooting headshots <laughs> <laughs> I hate shooting headshots. Oh my God. All of the talking about that. If I wander into a conversation with friends who are still actors who are talking about any of that, I mean, I literally, I, Turn the I other feel way. like gag Blaze reflex. Over. Like it's <laughs> gag reflex. So gross to me. I mean, I dated, a, I was in a long relationship with a guy who was an actor and I remember coming home one day with headshots all laid out taking up the we were house sitting and so it was a like a big living room headshots laid out throughout the whole thing there were wigs there wigs? Were all this stuff because he was like he wanted to go for like another look he had short hair at the time but he wanted to go for a long-haired look and some other headshots <laughs> oh he was God. analyzing doing like a full-scale analysis of all the headshots he'd ever had taken and then all the potential looks and i was just like i can't do this i yeah. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm embarrassed wow. sometimes to tell people that I ever studied acting because I think people have such a negative connotation. It was a wonderful thing to study. Uh-huh. It was amazing. I learned so much about myself and human behavior. It was almost yeah. like psychology. It was, I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I feel like so many people think, oh, she was an actress? There's so much more to being an yeah. actress 
than what people think. It's not all pursuit of fame and fortune. Sometimes it's a pursuit of knowledge, I think. For me, yes. it was a pursuit of knowledge. Yeah. And and uh, an expression of knowledge. Well, you know? for me, some of the job um, dilemmas that I'm having now and the reason that I sort of waffle so much about what do I really want to do? What One of the things I got out of acting was the trying on of different lives and different experiences and that's something that you can't get when you commit to one career path. Mm -hmm. Um, That was something where it's like, okay, great. Let's see what it's like to be a teacher. Let's see what it's like to be this. Let's see what it's like. And all of the, and then all of the little, little jobs like to support um, yourself are also like forays into those worlds. So you're just trying on all of these things all the time. And it's stressful in the sense that there isn't the security of just that one job or that one career but really um, enlightening and just enriching to right. just try on all that stuff. I agree. It's it's um, ripe with learning. Like yeah. there's just so much you have to learn. Like you said, just to have the day jobs to support your dream. Yeah. I mean, I had so many of them manage apartment buildings. I didn't know how to manage an apartment building. I, had I did saw, that too. You did? Yeah. Uh-huh. Shut up. I didn't yeah. know that. How many yeah. units did you have? Uh I'm going to get it wrong. It was under 30. Okay. Yeah. I started with 39. ended up with 138 at the end of it. Yeah. Um, at three buildings. But I just answered an ad in the LA Times. I was like, I can bullshit my way into this job. No problem. I went into the interview and the guy was like, any experience? I said, no, but I did build a house with my dad when I was young. So I have a little knowledge about, you know, carpentry and whatever. This is before I was formatting for a construction guy. And he was like, what do you think the most important thing is? And I said, I think it's important that you treat everybody in your apartment building like they are your guest in your home. And he went, you're hired. <laughs> and I was oh. like, yeah, I knew it. That's, uh, that's the key. Hospitality. That's what it is. Customer service. Um, I stayed in that job for 10 years while I waited tables, uh, worked for a caterer. Uh, I worked for a guy in construction. Um and wrote scripts all at the same I never during that time when I managed that apartment building had less than two day jobs while writing. I was writing at the same time I was waiting tables and managing an apartment building. It was insanity. But that's three totally different worlds you have to learn, right? Yeah. Restaurant jobs are intense and you have to learn a lot in that. Money, people skills, time organization i think every single person that graduates high school should have to wait tables for one year because <laughs> you just learn so much from waiting tables you know what i never waited tables oh braggart isn't no but it's crazy <laughs> i think it's like i'm just an anomaly i don't know how anyone can be an actor for so many years and not wait tables i worked at restaurants and clubs and but i i never i mean i had a million different little jobs never waited tables interesting it just didn't happen for me and i remember even one of the places that i did work i i mentioned to the manager that i was interested in someday waiting tables and then they just liked me more in different roles and it never happened never happened yeah Hmm. maybe they thought you were klutzy (laughs) (laughs) what was your favorite non-career job kathy my favorite Mm -hmm. um that's a good question not that probably working in the restaurant it was so fun yeah i had a blast working in actually both restaurants well you are very social it was super awesome 
Yeah, you're very friendly um, and social, and you talk to people, and you know you're yeah. easy easy to talk to. It was fast paced. It was always something different. It was always changing. There was always different people there. Um, yeah, it was super fun. It's always a different it was problem, right? Challenging. Yeah, there was always something new happening. Mm-hmm. Um, staffing issues, food issues. Like it was, uh, it was very interesting. Huh. I had a good time with that job. That's cool. Yeah. What was your favorite non-career job? Uh, the standardized patient, definitely. That was it. Yeah, yeah that uh, that was my absolute favorite. Um, you're rubbing thighs all day long. Rubbing thighs, <laughs> rubbing thighs, right? <laughs> With one, one, one thigh. All day long, that's all I see is all day. She's just rubbing thighs, rubbing thighs. Oh, my God. <sighs> I wonder what mine was. Let me think for a second. Um, I had two come to mind, actually. One, when I was in college, a video store was opening up. And I got hired before they opened. And we, so we had to literally, they just, everything just showed up in boxes. So we had to assemble all the shelving and, and put all the displays and organize the store. At that time, there was no like, every store looks the same kind of or thought process. It was, you know, like late 80s. So we got to figure out what movies went where and how to display them. And I just remember cranking up music and just partying while assembling this movie store. Now, I don't think I worked there very long after it was open. I don't think I liked it after it was open. Um, I ended up like getting a better job somewhere else with better hours for my school. But that part of that job was really fun. It was really fun. And then my other job, I worked at this restaurant here called Lowry's The Prime Rib. And <laughs> for those <laughs> of you... Sienega. Yes, I worked there for two and a half years. I was a, it was a great money-making job. Um, and I had to wear this, we called it the brown gown. So the, um, their uniforms were modeled after... Well, first of all, the restaurant was open in the 40s. And their uniforms were modeled after the porter car girls on trains. So they're this like tight-fitted, low-cut, really fitted dress that has like an A-line skirt with a starched white collar, starched white cuffs around the, the sleeves, and a starched white apron with like a nurse's hat that was all starched. I had to wear pantyhose and white nurse's shoes and my hair had to be in a french twist every day oh my god it was they wanted you to look exactly like each other and exactly their their philosophy was someone who came here in the 40s should come back today and feel like you look the same red lipstick only had to wear makeup to work Uh, but i made like 50 grand a year working 20 hours a week it was and it was so fast paced wow. but at the same time i did that job i sold avon and did i mention i was also managing an apartment building and writing <laughs> screenplays at the same time so i would keep my avon catalog in my pocket <gasps> and i would just like um shuffle them out to my other co-workers and go tell let me know what you want from avon and then as the night comes on they would just write a ticket for what they wanted from avon and hand me their tickets and then i'd go home and fill out all their order forms i'd drive downtown and shop and buy all their avon and then bag it up and then i would leave it in the uh in our locker room and then they would slide a check in my locker oh my god and i had so much fun doing that i didn't even use avon but these ladies loved it they a lot of ladies had been there 
for 20 years, 25 years. Like once you went to Lowry's, you usually didn't leave because it's like we, I called it the golden handcuff job. You made so much money working 20 hours a week, especially if you're married. 50 grand's a lot. Yeah. For just 20 hours a week, you could have a whole nother side hustle. So, which I had a couple. <laughs> <laughs> but that fast paced, I really liked that fast paced. So my non-career job, I liked that fast-paced job and and the extremeness of like, we used to have to carry these trays. They were so big. I don't even know if I can, they were like, how big is that? Like three feet? They were like ovals, big three feet ovals. So we would have to get a plastic bowl with shaved ice and in that plastic bowl, like a salad bowl, in that plastic salad bowl is a silver stainless steel salad bowl full of salad plates for the salad forks for the salad and dressing and you would have to go to the table you'd have to carry this they didn't wouldn't let you use like a cart i'd have to pick this big thing up and walk through the restaurant with it on my shoulder and then set it up on a on a tray stand and i'd have to spin the bowl of salad it was called lowry's famous spinning bowl salad so you spin the bowl on the ice and then you had to pour the dressing but you couldn't just pour the dressing you had to pour it from like your outstretched arm above your your head so you had to reach on your tippy toes is what they preferred and pour the dressing from as high up as you could reach from your tippy toes into the spinning salad bowl (laughs) and then you had to take the tongs and toss the salad while continually spinning the bowl it was a skill (laughs) set let me tell you and then you serve the salad table side right wow it was a show it was a freaking show, the Lowry's Spinning Bowl Salad. And wow. every single person got the salad. You don't order the salad. It comes with your meal. So every night, I was spinning like 15, 20 salads a night. I was like, oh my God. toss, 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 spin, 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 serve, serve, serve. It just was really fast-paced. Do you do that at dinner parties now? You know, I should bring the brown gown back, but they made me turn it in. And the starching of the stuff, that was a skill set all in and of itself. Did you have to do that yourself? I was supposed to. I could never get the formula right. I couldn't get everything stiff enough. So I finally found one dry cleaner in, in all of L.A., in Beverly Hills, one dry cleaner that would starch my stuff. So I'd bring it in like, I'd bring a bunch of them in. I think we had maybe two sets. So I'd have one at the cleaner while I was using the other one. Yeah. Wow. It was crazy. <laughs> anyway. Um, um, do you want me to tell the story about when I almost um, did phone sex work? Yes. Oh, my God. That's right. I forgot I about that. About, I told you you were rubbing thighs all day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Please tell the story about when you almost did phone sex work. Yes. So This will um, be our big closer. Okay. <laughs> so um, I this was one of my jobs. One of the things that I was applying for while I was acting. And I thought, you know... It's just an acting job. Like I could just act this out. I'm. It's just on the phone. Um, it's method work. It's not Meisner, but yeah, it's, it's just on the phone. I'm not touching anybody. It's not. And I talked myself into this, and it happened to be literally like you have to park right in front of my job, my um, the club job that I worked to <laughs> go to this building. It was in an office building. And I went up there, went into the room. It's just this giant room with all of these cubicles and everybody with a headset and on the phone. And I was Are like, kidding. yeah, this is this is fine. It's it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. I'm a grown up. I'm a grown up. Yeah. Yeah. To- this is professional. Uh-huh. And this 
the guy, the manager came out and he was like just the stereotype of any movie. If you imagine a smarmy guy it was like for some reason, the button shirt that was unbuttoned with the chest hair and the oh chains oh. and everything and the slick back hair. And um, so he walked me around to show me like everybody at their station and they're, you know, working with their scripts and I'm walking around. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. It's going to be good. It's going to be fine. Wait, there was a script. I guess I didn't really get that far. Like I saw that they had binders with scripts. Um, and <laughs> Were there tabs like blowjob, oral sex. You give it to me, I give it to you. Anal. How bizarre! Oh my god, I'm so embarrassed even you saying all of that. <laughs> So, so he, how did you think you were going to do this job? I, I don't know. I was, so I was just like, no, I, you know, I can do this. It's a lot of money. It paid really well. And I thought, okay, I can do this. It's okay. I was also imagining um, that there was that movie, uh, Spike Lee movie, Girl Six. And it was like all these girls, you know, all these girls who were doing this, but they were, there was this bond, this solidarity. It was like they were getting through this together. And I was, uh, you know. It's like imagining boarding school after you read Jane Eyre. It's like... Right. And um, so he said, okay, well, we're going to do an audition now. And I was like, oh, what? And he said, well, you know, you sit down. He brought out a phone and this these were rotary phones. And um, he brought out a phone and said, uh, now I want you all pick up another end and you'll talk to me. And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. I absolutely can't do this. And then somebody called him from another office. He had to go take a call. And he said, "Okay, just, you know, sit tight. I'll be back in a second for the audition. And he walked away. And I just heard a head, (laughs) a voice in my head saying, run. (laughs) 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 And I ran. (laughs) I ran down out of the, the room down the hall into the elevator and I'm in the elevator and the doors closed and I was like pushing the button and then it opened on the next floor and a guy who I worked with at my other job got on and he was like oh hey were you on the McDonald's audition too I didn't see you there oh that's great that you got who's your agent now and he's chatting me up about this and I was just like no I wasn't at the McDonald's audition (laughs) and he's like oh what, what were you doing oh, is there another casting company here? Well, what floor were you on? Or whatever. And I was like, I, I got to go. And <laughs> took off, made it to my car. And yeah, okay, that's, that's my hysterical. story. <laughs> that's that's awesome. really funny. <laughs> that's There's, really yeah. funny. It was just one of those times when I just sort of <laughs> overestimated what who I thought I could be, like my um, flexibility. Yet you would not <laughs> wait tables. <laughs> tables nobody would have me it just didn't work out no one would have you oh they would have you're very nice personable (laughs) do you have any crazy interview stories like that kathy no no me neither no no i'm a pretty standard (laughs) yeah no never in my head did i go run (laughs) no i did not run away from an interview it's really funny oh well anything else on your list you want to discuss Kirsten made a list of her odd jobs. <laughs> well, just read the list. Well, they weren't all... It, it wasn't that they were all, like... Not odd, sorry. Well... You you put the right adjective in. No, I mean... So, well, the list... I, the title is Odd Jobs. It okay. wasn't that the jobs in and of themselves were odd. It was more that the experience was. Some right. of them are odd. Like, obviously, the standardized patient was weird. I was a stand-in for many years, um, which... 
I was a stand-in. Yeah. A lot of people don't know what that actually is, though, that it's... Yeah, explain it. They hire actors to stand and do the motions to... Basically, you watch the... On on a film or a television set, you watch um, the actors rehearse um, and you memorize and you take notes of where they walk and when and when they sit, what line they sit on. And you go through that with the lighting department and uh, so that they can light you. And so they usually hire somebody who looks just, they don't necessarily look just like, they're not like a a double, Double. but they hire somebody who is the same height and coloring as the actor, ideally. But then sometimes you end up getting, especially with day players and smaller parts, you end up standing in for whoever. and uh, yeah, so you go through that, and that was that was actually how I first I got my first TV jobs because I ended up um, standing in for uh, Dixie Carter, Aww. and um, who was great. She was so lovely. I bet. Um, and um, she was too. She was older, and she was just too tired to. She didn't want to run all of the rehearsals, and it happened to be for this. Um, this one uh, episode when her character had just gone through something very traumatic and was on the stand and giving testimony. Um, And so they had me do all of the, so sometimes depending on the show that you're on, sometimes you end up doing the lines like for the director and, and actually doing this acting the scene with the other actors. So it was like Tony Danza. I was doing a scene with Tony Danza. How cool. Remember who else? was in it um but uh, um it was a very dramatic scene and so i was able to do it and i was crying and everything and tony was like afterwards like you this was amazing (laughs) why aren't you acting in the show and i was like i don't know i'm i'm the stand-in and i ended up getting um some parts on designing women no it was on a show called family law oh okay yeah so um yeah so i was a stand-in um i was a substitute teacher but at uh at two different schools, and they, one of them was an all-black school, mm-hmm. and one of them was the Kabbalah Center. Um, oh, wow. Which is... Uh, yeah, Jewish. Yeah, and, and it was pretty um, serious. I mean, they, they told me when I got the job that because I'm not Jewish and not kosher, that I wasn't allowed to bring any food on the premises at all, and that they would feed me lunch and snack and everything, but that I wasn't allowed to bring... <laughs> Any food. Yeah. Any of my filthy food. It's so <laughs> filthy. That's crazy. Yeah. So I did that. I was an ESL tutor for yeah. um, uh, Korean. Um, do you speak Korean? Immigrants. No. No. But um, we didn't have to, to be in, yeah, to do ESL. Actually, I ended up doing, like, just basically going to Denny's with um, what? <laughs> a couple. And, like... <laughs> You just went to Denny's? Just uh, went to Denny's with these, like, so my, I had this one student who was, like, How did you teach them how to say, uh, moon over my hammy? <laughs> how did you teach them how to say that? <laughs> this is moon over my hammy. No, my hammy is not a real word. That, so that, that was actually, real that's place. actually exactly what the job was, though. So it was, so... not moon over my hammy but like explaining humor and puns and like wordplay because there were these students who would come over from korea and were like doing grad school say at ucla yeah and then didn't (laughs) 
like we're doing great in terms of the technical writing Mm -hmm. but in their interpersonal relations and in terms of like presenting anything it they were very dry because they just knew how to say you know yeah it was very textbook and so they so i was hired to do so it was literally was a lot of things like jokes and puns and explaining things and like yeah, and just and just conversation, just talking. So we'd just go out for coffee or to Denny's and just they had to my client had to do all the ordering and order for me and um and when he was having challenges or whatever, I you know try him out. Try to help him out a little. And yeah. <laughs> Interesting job. Yeah. It was fun. I, I liked it. Um What did you order at Denny's? <laughs> you remember? I don't know. <laughs> Moon over Miami. <laughs> the grand slam but i was probably explaining what like a grand slam was like where the term came from because literally it was stuff like that where so much would go over their heads yeah because because cultural yeah 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 Yeah. grand slams are definitely cultural (laughs) i have one every time my dad comes to visit he's like yeah let's go to denny's because there's no denny's in our hometown he loves denny's so we always end up at denny's at some point but I've never had moon over my hammy. <laughs> I just can't think you've got to draw the line somewhere. I'm telling you, I go there every time he comes. He loves Denny's. Yeah. Yeah. So step up from the boundaries, Waffle House. You know, I have not been to Denny's. In you know, I'm like a giver. A <laughs> I'm a giver. <laughs> oh, what else? What's your other job? I don't know. They're not that interested. They're not. I, I gave you my most interesting ones. I managed okay. the apartment building, did coat check. I worked at the box office of a nightclub. I was a personal assistant. Proofreading, nanny, um, <laughs> just some weird nannying stories, uh, receptionist, you know, not, they, those weren't in and of themselves interesting. It was more the crazy people that I worked for. Right, right. Um, yeah. What about you, Kathy? What have you done? Yeah, I feel like mine are all fairly similar. Like yeah. babysitter, lifeguard, swim instructor, um, worked a bunch of retail jobs worked in a restaurant i worked oh, like retail i forgot about the retail an adult jobs. daycare center worked as a job coach for developmentally disabled adults oh my goodness oh. which is an emt yeah that's cool that is it cool. was very cool actually um yeah those it was awesome actually. i bet that was very rewarding it was very interesting mm-hmm. um there were some amazing people yeah that i got to work with <clears throat> um the agency i worked for um actually had a a gift shop that they ran and so these adults would come from their group homes and they would work in this gift shop like i did never went out into the public like at a supermarket or whatever other people did that but we would work in this gift shop it was really that's cool folks who were blind and you know they all had some sort of developmental disability right um yeah it was fascinating wow it was very cool that's a great job i worked like part-time as a like I used to go into like adult group homes and like give out medication. Like this group home would like, the adults were high functioning enough where they didn't need staff all the time. Mm-hmm. But I would go in for like two hours and make sure things were okay and hand out medication and like random stuff like that. But so you've always kind of been a caregiver. Yeah. Interesting. In most mm-hmm. of the jobs. Yeah. It's part of your so. aptitude. <laughs> you have Maybe. an aptitude for caregiving. That's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, none of them are crazy. 
crazy mm. shit happened in pretty much all of the jobs. But <laughs> well, I think that's true for uh, yeah, I think everybody. that is true. But like none of the jobs are super crazy. EMT no. is probably the craziest, right? Because that's not super normal. But right. yeah, well, I was a bookkeeper. Uh, I was a part runner for my dad, so I used to go pick up like transmissions and stuff. And then I drove his tow truck. I sold wedding gowns. Um, opened a video store. I worked in um, a bank as a proof in the proof department, which was in the dungeon of the bank. So back in the day, before computers are what they are now, a person would like if you went to the teller and gave them a deposit, you have a deposit slip and a check or cash or whatever I would get the deposit slip and the check and I would have to read the deposit slip and read the check and then I'd have to type in the amount on the deposit slip and then type in the amount on the check to make sure they balanced and then run it through a machine so I was the person that stamped the back of the check you remember when you used to get your checks back in the mail a long time ago and it was stamped on the back that I was the person that actually made the transaction happen so even though the teller did it I actually did it I worked that job for a while while I was in school but it was in a room with no windows (laughs) it was like a dungeon I was with two other women who had done that job for 108 years exactly and I think one of them was like a mole like when she went outside she was blind because she'd just been in this dungeon all the time but I also worked in that that same department of the bank where the proof department would then give the checks to the people outside of the proof department and those people would actually file the checks in your account file and then at the end of every month i would take those checks out of that file and put them in an envelope with your statement and mail it to you none of it was automated when i was in high school at the bank i worked at so i did both of those jobs at the bank which were really boring but it was a fun group of women i like the group of women and what else did i do i was a personal assistant i was an office manager i was a waitress for a long time i worked in catering um i sold avon um wrote screenplays one got made which was really cool um that's great what which one got made yeah it's terrible. I'm almost embarrassed to tell anybody about it. It's called The Biggest Fan. <clears throat> My writing partner and I wrote it together. I had a partner. And uh, the, the you can buy it on Amazon, but um, it's not the movie we wrote. They changed some really key pieces of it. And um, I was really bummed about that. We had written this little brother. The basic premise was, this girl is a really big fan of a boy band. Let's just say NSYNC. She's a really big fan of NSYNC, right? And she's not super popular at school, but she's everybody likes her, just not a super popular girl. And NSYNC is on tour, but Justin Timberlake is tired of the whole thing. So in the middle of the night, he gets really drunk and steals a tour bus and drives off into the night and crashes it in her backyard goes in her back door up the back stairs and passes out in her bed and she wakes up the next day and justin timberlake is in her bed and she's like what the fuck justin timberlake's in my bed and then he's like i can't go back to the boy band i need a break i we're on tour i just need a break 
and can you hide me? So she hides him, and like they dye his hair, and she takes him to high school, Aww. and then they become <laughs> oh, really good so friends. Cute. And you know, then of course the boy band's looking for him, and then she has this little brother who's nine. We wrote him as nine on purpose. He was nine, <laughs> and he was basically Hugh Hefner. Basically, they cast him as fourteen. And a 14-year-old Hugh Hefner is gross. Creepy. Yeah. A 9-year-old Hugh Hefner, he always rode a scooter and he always had a good-looking blonde like like Playboy Bunny 9-year-old on the back of a scooter. <laughs> he was riding all around. He was always had these like awesome lines and they when the lines came out of a 14-year-old's mouth, oh. I like was like nails on a chalkboard. Nails oh. on a chalkboard and then they added these two police officers we didn't write in the script. We were like we never had these two police officers. Who put that in there? And that's terrible. Now the whole thing is terrible. So I was really disappointed. So, of course, you know, in our original script, um, of course, he asked her to the prom. And, of course, the boy band finds him at the prom. And everyone at the prom now goes, oh, my God, you're really Justin Timberlake. And, it, and he asked her to go on tour with him because they're really good friends. And she says, no, no, I'm going to stay here and finish high school. You have a great life. This was really fun. And they stay good friends, right? Awesome story. Disney almost bought it. It went all the way up the, the whole ranks of Disney. At the very end, the president called our, our agent and was like, we just don't have room for it. We only have this many movies we can greenlight, and we've already greenlit, and we just don't have room. And we're like, shit. So we sold it to this other company, and they just changed it, and I hate it. But it was made. But it got made. That's it got made. huge. Right. There are yeah. professional yeah. writers who make a ton of money who have never had anything made before. That's very true. Yeah, very true. It was made. And we had three other scripts that were optioned. They were all romantic comedies. That was the only one that was in the teenage romantic comedy comedy genre the rest of them were adult rom-coms oh, that's so cool but um yeah we wrote eight scripts together in two and a half years three years we were like machines yeah i loved it i really actually miss writing a lot i loved being immersed in something i was immersed i wrote six days a week eight ten hours a day and we just cranked shit out so that one script got made and as it was written it was really good I, w I really liked it for what it was for a teenage romantic comedy. I was so excited about all the characters and the story. It all just kind of worked. And I was, I, in hindsight, I think we should have sat on it. I think we were so anxious to get something sold and made that we really sold it too fast. I think if we had just waited on it just a little bit, it would have found another home. But we just didn't. We were, we were young and anxious and excited and so whatever anyway <laughs> well thanks for talking to me about your jobs and thanks very much for doing the live podcast because i know that was uh it was fun i'm yeah. glad you had fun uh, i had fun too i always have fun especially with my friends so thank you for doing that i appreciate it oh, and thank thanks you. everybody thanks for, for listening <laughs>